business done properly is a blessing to the world, uh, and pure and simple. And so you'll notice how those men demonstrated an understanding that, that their work, they didn't use this word, but that their work is blessing the world. People are better off as a result of what they do, and, and so that's what we're trying to explore in this series. And, and just very quickly, um, I wanted to relate a story that is true in my life that, that helped open my eyes to this as a young businessman. I was on the, the board, for those of you who are Presbyterians, I was on the session of, of a church in Columbia, and someone who's probably known to a lot of those of you here who are my age about uh, um, was, was one of the other elders, a guy named Hugh Chapman. I'm sure some of y'all knew mm-hmm. Hugh. Uh, and at the time, he was chairman of the board of the old CNS Bank. And, and those, those of us on the session were putting a lot of pressure on Hugh to head up a, a real important uh, work that was going on in the church. I think it had something to do with the capital campaign or something. I've forgotten. But anyway... Uh, and he was refusing to chair it. He wouldn't do it. And and so we kind of ganged up on him in that session meeting, and the preacher jumped on him pretty hard, too, about, you know, it was his duty to, to do this. Uh, and so he put his foot down, and he said to the preacher, he said, listen, um, you've got a congregation here of around 1,800. I've got a congregation of around 3,000 at my work. And God put me there to, to take care of that congregation just like you're supposed to do here. And, and I'm going through some stuff, and, and all those 3,000 families are dependent on me making some good decisions here in the next few months. And that's where God put me, and that's what I'm going to do. And, and he called his employees, I hope you noticed, his congregation. And then the more I got to know him and, and tried to learn from him, he really did see it that way, that he saw that he was called to be in that role and that all those families... <clears throat> that were dependent upon him making a good decision, he saw as people who God had put under his care. And that stuck with me, and, and, uh, and, and I see a few heads nodding. Anybody who knew Hugh Chapman knows that that was a very genuine thing. So, so anyway, that's where we're hoping for all of us to get, to where we see our business and, and, or whatever we do in that way. So with no further ado, we'll ask a couple of questions and give you all uh, more opportunity than we have in the past. And the first is this, and um, I'm going to um, start with, um, Bill, you want to go first on this one? Or, or no, Kerry, Kerry, Kerry. Go first. Okay. Um, and that is this, how is my work part of my ministry? How is it an expression of my desire to imitate God? Um, you know, first, I think that we would all, all agree that People love to help people, and, uh, and I think we learned that, and that comes naturally, and, and the more we're, that we're around church and worship, the more we embrace that, um, and I don't think it gets any more holy than trying to help people. As a business owner, with all of our employees, um, I find that it, it's easy to, I mean, we have a good product, I have a franchise, so that was easy. And you have to balance a uh, checkbook, and we can do that. But motivating employees is incredibly challenging, as you all know. But if you are interested in their in their lives and in their well-being, and you're helping them, they're motivated. And if they're motivated, they're they're taking care of the customers. 
we're in the restaurant business and we're taking care of people right now, hundreds of people right now. And we're doing it because these guys are making hourly wages and these general managers care so passionately about what they're doing. And I think it's because we care about them. And I think that's very holy. Pretty simple. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yes. Bill? Well, I start from a little different position, but try to get to the same place. Um, <clears throat> I always think about leadership, and leadership is competence and character. And competence, of course, is education, experience, all those things that you build over life. Character, I would suggest, is something that you hopefully form much earlier in your life, and it is the harder of the two to know. There was a great article in the Wall Street Journal a week ago about the ethical challenges facing entrepreneurs entrepreneurs, and let me just read quickly a little bit here. There are unavoidable ethical dilemma in every profession and industry, of course, but the, but the dilemma on, on entrepreneurs face are more formidable and more difficult to manage. Some entrepreneurs stay the ethical course, but they seem at times to be the exception. Startups generally have no infrastructure to address ethical challenges, and frankly, entrepreneurs have little time or focus for monitoring their own behavior. Their energies are elsewhere. I think that's the problem with our society. I am my character. And if I am not trustworthy, honest, brave, loyal, obedient, whatever, then I'm nothing. And I think uh, having started two companies and been CEO of a couple of public companies, I love work. I love building things. But the key to all of that is how you treat your customers and how you treat your employees, to um, the point we were having here. Um, I would have one example of a, of a way that um, you can really motivate employees and at the same time be good for the bottom line. Uh, in a company that had a lot of uh, high-powered machinery running at high speeds, you're always worried about safety. And you can train people and you can tell them to be safe and think about safety. But I found the best way to achieve safety was to make safety a part of the senior executive team's bonus structure. So if we had a good safety record, they got better bonuses. When the employees understood that senior management was not only chasing profit, but was being paid on the safety record of the employees, uh, that made a huge difference uh, in the way the company operated, in the way the employees thought about the company. And I, I think that would be an example of, of how one um, might, might treat employees. But to me, the real starting point is simply the Great Commandment, followed by the Great Commission, followed by the Ten Commandments. And if one internalizes those and lives them imperfect as we all are and we're all going to fail, I think it gives you a character that, that will show up in other people and they'll recognize it. Uh, I think an example of somebody who does that well is my friend Charles Waring, who the magazine or the newspaper on your table here is an outgrowth of the Mercury. And here's a man who started a newspaper. It had a lot of religious content and now he's rolled into another paper that is solely dedicated to evangelical Christians. Um, and in that regard, at one of the companies I was fortunate enough to be a founder of, one Christmas our researchers decided to give Christmas presents to each of the senior partners. 
And one of my partners got a, a little uh, Ferrari car because he raced Ferraris. And when they got around to me, they gave me this Boy Scout neckerchief. And this is not, I'm not showing this to say that I'm great, but rather, uh, they said that, and given it to me, that if you want to know what was right or wrong in the company and how to behave, go see Bill. And that was simply a matter of trying to live a character that was as close as I could figure out to Jesus. And it failed all the time, but it was enough that they all saw it and said, we know how this company works. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to add to that, that when you do what these two men have talked about, um, whether you're, uh, you know, wear it on your sleeve or not, eventually, my experience is that the people that work with you and for you figure out where this is coming from. They see something really different than they've seen in a lot of coworkers or, or bosses. And, and uh, you know, as long as you're not hiding your light under a bushel, they'll figure out that that's coming, that there's some external power source you're plugged into, and that'll really make a difference. Uh, it really will in their lives. It is, it is a way of evangelizing uh, without question, I think. But to move on to the next question, uh, and Bill, you'll go first on this one, and that is, what are the temptations or obstacles to viewing and doing your work with this attitude, and how do you deal with those? Well, let me start with some scripture. Uh, one of my top five uh, uh, readings is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, which some of you may know. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. I call that my no excuses verse. Uh, I know that God, whenever I am tempted, has put a, a way out for me, and all I have to do is find it. Uh, I've not always been successful in finding it, but I know it's always there, so you just have to look. Uh, I've had the uh, good luck or bad luck to follow two CEOs of public companies who were terminated for cooking the books, and that always leaves you with some problems to clean up. But... Uh, the key thing I took away from that was in each case, each of these men had been successful in building a company and then ran into a problem. And their hubris was such that they couldn't ask for help in solving the problem. They just thought they could cook the books and get, get through it, which of course you can't. You never get away doing that. But it was a great lesson that humility is such an important part of character to know that what we have is given to us by God it's not ours, we're just making use of it, and you can always ask for help. Um, I guess the, uh, the thing that I would also point out, and this will come back in a moment, is that to me, the only real judge is Jesus. Uh, when we talk about what kind of temptations there are in business, I mean, there's money, there's fame, there's power, the list goes on and on and on. And if we worry about what our friends or neighbors or somebody else think, it's easy to get into the, the secular way of thinking. Um, I had an occasion where when I was chairman of the board of a company and we were about to sell the company and we found out that one of these CEOs was cooking the books and this company was mainly owned by a private equity firm, which was a good firm. And so I went to the senior guy from the private equity firm and said, look, 
we're investigating the CEO. We think he cooked the books. We've got to tell these guys who are about to buy us what's going on. They said, oh, no, 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 no. Can't we just sweep this under the rug for a while? Let's just keep it going. Let them do their due diligence. I said, no. Uh, ultimately, if they keep doing their due diligence and waste a lot of money, we're going to have to give them representations and warranties about the, the, what we're doing and where we are and that certain things haven't happened. And you don't want to be there. And um, they said, okay, we understand. So we'll go tell them. We told them, lost the sale because the company walked away. Um, a few years later, when we sold the company, um, interestingly, they never asked me to be on another board with them. <laughs> but, but, but on the other hand, the CEO, when we had our final dinner, said, you know, I say a lot of things about Bill, but the one thing that was most important to me was there was never any question on ethical or moral grounds about where we stood and no slippery slopes and no cutting corners. And I think that's about as fine a tribute as I could ever expect to get. Thank you. Gary. What's doing here? Can you hear me? <clears throat> so um, I've definitely been in some, a couple of businesses that were failing, and unfortunately with friendships. And uh, the temptation to uh, cook the book, so to speak, was never there. Um, I don't think I would have even took a chance of pulling that off. Um, but, uh, you know, when I, um, and we made it through those things, and still have a wonderful friendship and partnership. But um, when I think about a lot of this stuff, I, I bring it to day-to-day -day basic work, um, selling burritos. And uh, I think one of the things that goes on in, in companies as they grow is a tendency to micromanage people. And it happens in every kind of business. And I think companies start to stumble whenever they do that because they're not focused on the person anymore. They're focused on numbers. An example of that is we have a manager in Asheville and he, he literally burns up about 200 more hours per two-week pay period than our other guys. He drives me nuts. And I, talk to him and tell him you got to manage these hours and you know but he's got a crew of people that's been there since 07 which is unheard of in a restaurant uh, and we, we do have a very low turnover um, and those people are like a family and it's what they do and uh, so he has those hours but because of that there's so much dedication that there's other costs that are lower and I genuinely believe that that store it maintains a better positive comp sales than our other stores are very competitive to our best stores. And it's because of the happiness those people have. <laughs> and um, so I think that, I, you know, I, I was, um, when I first started, I, I opened a few stores very quickly. It was under a tremendous amount of stress. I was in Atlanta and I attended church at the Methodist Church on Peachtree there. And it's so funny, the preacher talked about how business people micromanage um, their employees and how stressful that is. And I left that day and I felt just a pressure that almost evaporate. And it had a huge impact on, on me as a business as a small business guy. So um, and I just think that you know that's something that comes straight out of scripture and uh, and, uh, and, it, and it goes against where culture is going where, where you're studying numbers and studying numbers and you're forgetting about we're all just people. We sell a gizmo or whatever. We profit from it, and other people 
um, benefit from that. And as long as you're doing that, the business can, can last and, and be sustainable. Great, thanks. Uh, and now what I'd like to do is open it up to the floor, uh, see who's got a few questions. We've got time for two, at least two or three questions. So um, I see a hand out there. No, safety in the workplace. We had a lot of high-speed machinery, and you get your hand in the wrong place, you lose your hand. So the, the real effort there was to ensure that senior management didn't put so much pressure on production that people were tempted to do things they shouldn't do from a safety perspective. And senior management knew if they did put that kind of pressure and there was an accident, all their bonuses were going to get whacked. So they everybody at the senior level understood the importance of employee safety in that context. Uh, the, the question was, as you're transitioning um, into retirement, uh, how do you make that transition uh, when your identity is wrapped up in your job? Uh, how do you successfully do that? Uh, I'm going to let Bill take a shot at this because Kerry's, <laughs> Kerry's got about 30 more years yes. to go. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, I probably flunked retirement two or three times, but I think, again, the most important thing there is being humble enough to say that none of us is indispensable. I love working. I love starting companies. I love building companies. But there comes a time when other people take those opportunities and go with them. And you just have to learn, get on some boards. There are all kinds of ways that you can contribute to for-profit or not-for-profit organizations through board work, which I loved. I mean, so to me, that was the simplest way and then finally you just say time to go home and do some hard sudoku problems <laughs> um it, 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 I, i'm going to take a little bit of a shot because I've, I've been through that transition myself and and um then have helped some some other guys I, I, but first of all if your identity is wrapped up in your work i think it makes it harder uh, um, and somewhere along the line because mine certainly was, um, but somewhere along the line and just trying to grow as a Christian business person, um, I began to realize that, that my work was what I did and it's what God called me to do, but it wasn't who I was. And, um, and that helped a lot. Uh, and, and then, though from a more practical thing, just the stuff Bill said, I, I was fortunate that a, a trade organization that I'd been on the board of um, I'd complained a lot about the management of the trade organization when I was a board <laughs> member and a member, and so they came to me uh, and said, well, why don't you run the thing if you think you're so smart? And so, um, so I did that for four years, and that was great. And then board work. Uh, th there are so many worthy causes out there. I'm looking at Bill Christian there. I mean, there are so many worthy things out there that need talent and need input and 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 it just creates a wonderful opportunity to continue to be productive. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, yeah. and and to contribute and feel like you're contributing. And in many ways, I think, um, I wouldn't say contribute more, but contrib contribute differently, which re-energizes you. And so I would, it, it, I had a partner one time for a few years, and once he retired, he's never gotten involved in anything bigger than himself. Uh, he's just, he just, you know, plays golf, he doesn't golf, but, you know, has his hobbies and everything, and 
the older he and I get and we stay in close contact, the more miserable he gets. And I'm convinced that it's because he doesn't have anything bigger than himself to be a part of. Now, somebody out here, there was a hand. Yes, sir. Great question. Yeah, Do either a, one of y'all know enough about that to comment? Well, that's where I guess Santee Cooper doesn't want to take the deal that is being offered, and you got 600 jobs and high salaries and everything. That's a harder question for me because Santee Cooper is a public entity in the sense of a state corporation, not a for-profit company, and I'd be quite frank, all the companies I've been involved with have been for-profit companies, but at the end of the day, um, there clearly is an economic impact on Berkeley County of 600 people with an average salary of 92000 bucks or whatever the paper said being laid off. On the other hand, I don't know what the issue is for Santee Cooper. They're barely shutting down a power plant. Maybe that's one of their least efficient plants. Maybe that's a polluting plant. I, I, don't, I just don't know enough to, to really comment intelligently. Carrie? Uh, Santee, I mean, that's a tough one. I, I certainly don't uh, profess to have the answer. Uh, you know, I, I look at it from the standpoint, um, Obviously, that, that was a huge user of electricity and generated a tremendous amount of revenue to Santee Cooper. And when we lose that manufacturer, they, gotta, they have to make that revenue up from everybody else, um, it seems to me. And um, coupled with all the added costs that they're enduring, it, it's, it's a very it's scary to me uh, what's going on in the whole utility industry, in fact. Yeah, I, I, to me, the papers have not, in what I've read, given some of the pertinent facts to know who's being the most obstinate here. Uh, you know, is there room for, I think it's Century Aluminum, am yeah. I right? Mm -hmm. it, it, have they got some room where they actually could pay some more? I, I, I don't know. Or, 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 and has Santee Cooper got room? And, and I think you'd have to know the, the details. Do you all agree of the yeah, number? I think there's one key detail, and that is Century wanted to import from outside three quarters of their power and let Santee Cooper use their transmission lines to bring that power in. Well, if they're cutting three quarters of their power, they're cutting three quarters of their business from Santee Cooper's perspective in terms of running power plants. So some of those jobs would have been laid off in any case if you cut out three quarters of the power generation and are just being paid for uh, not a trivial amount of money, but some amount of money for the use of your transmission lines. And Santee Cooper may not want to set a precedent there because there may be others that then say, okay, well, you gave that to Century, so we want the same kind of a deal. It, it gets really complex until you know all of the, all of the particulars. I, I think it's tough. Yeah, it really does. That's a great question, though, and, and I've thought about that. that. That's a great example of the tension that can happen uh, for business people making decisions and how that impacts their, not only their company and their employees, but their community and whatnot. Um, did somebody, I saw another hand up. Yes. Uh, that's a, a good question. I would go back to the uh, <clears throat> Norfolk Southern ad. I mean, the point they were making was that 
work is good. They're keeping the lights on. They're delivering food. They're doing all these things that make life better for the people in the community. Then when you get to the profit, you know, a lot of, in, in most industries, a lot of the profit is being reinvested in new plants, new equipment. Um, and, you know, that can also be detrimental. I'll give you a quick example of one of the companies that I was CEO of for a bit and chair. In 1985, we had equipment that would produce 5,000 tons a year with 60 people. 1985. 2015, that same equipment would produce 15,000 tons with 30 people. So the technology, the advances in technology, cut out 30 jobs in producing three times as much material. So the productivity gain was 600% over that 30-year period. Um, so there, there's some of these things that, while that is better quality product you can produce, you do lose some jobs. And that's, you know, that's always a tough decision about, um, what about, can you expand those jobs somewhere? And of course the problem in some industries, and the one that I was involved in, in the US, our markets were saturated. So we were just trying to maintain our position. We actually made most of our money overseas where um, we were producing into an economy where the demand for our products was growing. So a lot of what we did, and we used US environmental and safety and everything else around the world <coughs> to protect all of our employees. In the US, we made very little money, um, made most of it overseas, and to me, that was part of the whole social engineering of the thing, is to try and, the company's gotta keep going, you gotta be able to reinvest, you have to produce top quality products. Procter & Gamble was one of our, big our largest client. They're very demanding, they are very demanding. Um, you know, these are just all trade-offs that are you really have to know the details to me because sometimes it sounds so simple and so good, um, but it may not really be as good as it sounds. And if you have employees who enjoy their work and are productive and you're producing good products for which there is demand and you're charging fair prices, I think you're probably doing a pretty good job. I'd like to add to that, um, you know, in our business, um, we, we like to give back to the community and we've learned that, and I hear this from people in this room all the time, my kids make me go to Moe's. And so, well, the kids are making us, you know, that's why we're making money. So what we decided to do is we started focusing all our charitable things going back into children and education and we give to different types of um, programs that, that, revolve, that revolve around that. Um, that being said, I mean, when you run a business, the, the, the bottom line is so fragile. And if you're not paying attention to that and you're not trying to improve that, it, it, it'll go away so it will, you'll wake, it, it can go away tomorrow. And you go, you go to bed every night like that and most have lived that. And so you, you have to maintain that. Now, the social engineering comes natural in the fact that if you've done that, you have something to give back and, and you can go and support what you believe in whatever it may be. And, and so that's how I look at how our little business um, functions in that capacity. And let me say, Carrie's Mose was one of the early supporters of the Charleston Promise neighborhood, one of the not-for-profits around here, which I was the founding chairman. So 
His money is where his mouth is. And yeah, it's time to cut it. I'll give you one question, though, to think about that's along those lines. Uh, and maybe we'll explore this one time. And, and, and I was on a board of a public company once, and, and I complained that they had a whole office of people who decided where to give money away, what charities to support. And most of the charities got supported were the pet charities of board members of the CEO. And, and I complained and said, look, as a shareholder, I don't want you to give any, it's not, it's not this company's business to give my money away. It's your business to either give me a return on the investment through, through, through higher stock prices or dividends, and then the stockholders can decide individually where they want that money to go. But this advertising how great you are for the community because you give my money away just doesn't hold water for me. So that might be something to, to think about sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, okay, but th thank you all. Hank has one little announcement. Thank you. Let's give these guys a, a, a hand of applause. You know, churches are interesting places, and um, I never dreamt when we started doing this that we would be doing this. And I'm so thankful that we are, and I'm so thankful that you guys are here um, because the Holy Spirit will take these things and plant them in your heart, and you'll take them out and do something with them, and that's what we're really about here. Um, we're heading up toward Christmas now, and um, so I wanted to just ask you to do a couple things for me. On your table, you'll find a green sheet and a yellow sheet. The green sheet's for you to take with you. It's just a reminder of the stewardship of God, how God stewarded himself to some people and said, through you, I want to bless the world. Said it to Abraham, his son Isaac, son Jacob. And then you find that old Joseph there is uh, saving a bunch of people's lives after being sold into slavery. And just the interesting ways that God can, can work with us. Um, so take that and just uh, let that be a blessing to you to be reminded that God is... He's up to that. He's, he's after that kind of uh, thing and that he will use us that way. And then if you could fill out uh, this yellow card for us, uh, give us some feedback. Um, if you don't like this, say, I don't like this. But if you do and you think of some things that might be done better or that we might do differently or that we might do that we haven't done and could put those on there um, for me and just... Um, Leave them here on the table or drop them by the church office if you want to take it home and think about it or whatever. But if you could get it back to me, I would greatly appreciate it. Finally, um, just to say a little bit more about um, these papers on your table are for you to take. And if you want to get extra copies, there are some outside on the big table as you go out to share with uh, friends and neighbors. But um, Charles, would you stand up? I, I, I'm looking around the room to see where... Charles Waring, this is a... In this article, the Welcome to the Carolina Compass part there tells a little bit about how this all happened. Thank you. And um, so uh, just want to say thank you to you, Charles, for um, uh, calling on the community to share how um, God is real and how God works in our lives and then to make it available to, it's, it's in every mercury that's,
How many copies are we talking about? 14,000 in the Mercury, then 25,000 more distributed up and down the coast. Right, just individually. Right. So, so thank you for advertising with them so they can do this. <laughs> but but uh, we're very grateful to you. And I commend this to you to read these stories. And it's people you know. Um, and um, if you know of people who have stories like this, share that with Charles so he can get in touch with them and have that to share in future columns. So with that, thank you for being here. And if you'd bow your heads, I'd just like to say a uh, a closing prayer for us as we uh, head into the Christmas season now. Lord, um, again, the, the, the word that comes to me is giving. It's giving. You are a giving God. And if you didn't give, we wouldn't have anything. We wouldn't have life. We wouldn't have the blessings that we enjoy and, and, Lord, you do that through people. You do that. We're blessed because someone else has blessed us. Someone else has seen something in our lives and invested in us. And that's what Bill was sharing today. It's what Carrie was sharing today. It's what Don was sharing today. And it's something that we're all involved in in some way. So thank you for being the gracious and generous giving God. And would you give us... Uh, gracious, generous spirit uh, within us uh, to, to give as you do. As we leave now, we ask for your blessing upon our families, upon the work we go to do, and upon our lives that we might take this goodness that we've received 